Great Duck Sports episode eight. We're back in business, everybody. And we came back, you know, I didn't want to come back and just slump right into it. So we're going to really hit everything today. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Talking about Wolves off the top here. Then we're going to go Minnesota Wild, just State of the Wild with Seth DePaul from Locked On Wild. Then we're going to talk about what went wrong with Vikings, Zimmer. That's with my buddy, Kevin. He doesn't have any credentials. But Kevin's, like Kevin's a smart guy. He's my friend. I think we have a pretty good, I mean, honestly, just a pretty similar conversation to the, to the ones that a lot of people are having about what went wrong, how it went wrong, whose fault it was, but not necessarily like actually pinning blame in like real palatable, angry ways, but really just kind of talking through it post-mortem what happened with the Vikings. we got both those guys. We'll probably end up being over a full hour today. Like I said, it's been, been two months since I've done this. Also, we got some good guests lined up. Not going to reveal who because I don't want to get anyone too excited because there's no one to get that excited here. But also, I want to make sure that it happens. But a couple of guests I'm pretty excited about coming up. So the show is going to start finally reaching its form after, after coming back. Like I said, I think we can, we can push this thing to, to three figures pretty soon here. 100 listeners? Anybody? Anyway, let's talk about the Wolves. Just came off a four-game win streak after a little skid. Now they've lost two in a row. Two real different games against the Pelicans and the Grizzlies after. I mean, first, let's go back to that four-game win streak. A much-needed four-game win streak responding after a loss to the Lakers. Beat a pretty good Clippers team. They were a little shorthanded, but beat up on them pretty good. And then had a really, not dramatic, but a back-and-forth, really gritty game with, uh, with the Thunder. Cat didn't really have it going yet. It's still coming back from COVID. 98-90, they win that one. Then they blow the doors up the Rockets, blow the doors up the Thunder. Everyone's feeling good playing the Pelicans. They're right in the thick of, of the play-in tournament race right now. They're sitting ninth. Um, they're two games back of the sixth seed, though, so they could very well end up not playing in that play-in tournament. And – Something about that four-game winning streak. couple blowouts over teams they were supposed to beat. And that's the most important thing for this Wolves team this year. They are taking care of, for the most part, there's going to be off nights, but they're taking care of the bad teams this year. They're taking care of the Rockets. They're taking care of the Thunder. They're not taking care of the Pelicans. They've lost two or three of them. But you get my point. When teams you expect them to beat come to town, they do beat them. And then they play very competitively against good teams. I mean, they've already beaten the Heat. They've already beaten the Bucs recently, or they already beat the Bucs at the beginning of the year, not recently. Heat was a little more recent, but they played the Lakers well. They beat them twice. They blew the doors off Memphis before another dramatic close game. But all that being said, like I said, exciting brand of basketball. Their, their big three is awesome. I mean, Anthony Edwards, what an absolute delight that Anthony Edwards is. And he's taken such large steps from even last year when he was just a dunker, just a slasher. Anthony Edwards shoots 36 37% from three now. That's right up there with you where you want a high-usage two-guard to be. I mean, those are good numbers for a high-usage two-guard, which he is obviously very much becoming the clear second option, sometimes first option behind Cat. Still a little, little too excited to pull early in the shot clock. Gets a little out of control, but he, he really does. He looks a little Donovan, Donovan Mitchell-y, a little John Moranti if he can – if he can figure out that mid-range game and not go all the way to the rim, a la Russell Westbrook a little too much, don't want that. Want a little more John Morant, but he's been awesome. And then 
want to talk about Cat too because Cat shooting 42% from three. That ranks first among players averaging more than 20 points a game this year. Carl Anthony Towns among high usage, high volume scores is the best three-point shooter in the NBA. Among guys in the top 100 in scoring, I think he's like fourth or fifth behind Desmond Bain, Tyrese Halliburton, and Eric Gordon, I want to say, is the last guy. But man, Desmond Bain, that guy last night, whoo, he is awesome. Gets out in transition, plays defense for Memphis, can really shoot a way better of a shooter than I think anybody thought there. But that's the Carl Anthony Towns pieces. He's gotten raise that shooting even more. He says he's the best shooting big man. He a hundred percent backs it up. Anyone who, who doesn't believe that is wrong. Like I said, he leads the top scores in shooting better three point percentage than Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, whomever you want to, whomever you want to throw out there that you think of as a lights out, knockdown three point shooter, high volume, three point shooter. Carl Anthony Towns shoots five threes a game and he makes 42% of them, 42 and a half percent going into last night. I don't know if that, if that held up. Then the last thing. So with D'Angelo Russell, the third member of their quote unquote big three, D'Angelo Russell has not played that well in games that or in things that show up in the scorebook, but slow little sample size here. So this, these stuff, this stuff can really not mean stuff sometimes, but his on off numbers are so impressive that you can't ignore the off ball defensive impact that D'Angelo Russell has the improved on ball defensive impact that D'Angelo Russell has. And then just the controlled playmaking. We saw it last night against Memphis. He kind of took over that third quarter when they really needed buckets, when Memphis was blowing the doors off him. they had some defensive rotations or some slow rotations, which they've kind of struggled recently defensively for a team that's hung their hat on defense all year. They're in the top 12 or so in defense and then like 22nd or so in offense. So they have really hung their hat on defense. He's a big part of that. But I think we did see in those last two games just slow rotations, um, other teams getting out in transitions, and a couple issues like that 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 you're worried about right now, that you're worried about with this Wolves team if it were to continue because you've seen it so many times. But the point of all that, what I was going to say – is Russell's impact can be measured in a lot of different ways that don't show up in the score sheet, which a lot of people wouldn't typically say about D'Angelo Russell. So I think that's really impressive. And also the Wolves are 20 and 22 right now, like I said, in the thick of that playing race. This time last year, they were 10 and 32. So they've already improved that way a, a ton. They've improved that a ton. And they're doing it with Russell really not playing that well on the offensive end, with Russell being a clear three behind Ant behind cat and we know that russell has that ability we know that he can get up to 39 40 percent shooting 46 47 percent from the floor so i'm not saying it's a guarantee he turns it around but the point being is d'angelo russell has found a way to be a far more productive player a far more winning player than he was last year with way less scoring so i think that's super impressive and then you factor in <clears throat> excuse me then you factor in the beverly part the vanderbilt just the high high energy that lineup Carl Anthony Towns, the preferred starting lineup now of Carl Anthony Towns, Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell is number one amongst five-man units in the league in net rating. They are the best on-off five-man unit. Granted, they've only played 200 minutes together, so these small sample sizes and who you play then, it can be a little bit weird, but that makes a difference. Last thing, I almost forgot the D'Angelo Russell stat. 17 and 13 when he plays this year, so... If that doesn't measure winning, I don't know what else does. They're just a better team with him in the lineup. And then I've alluded to it a little bit. 
It's not all sunshines and roses. They get a little off. They get a little out of control offensively and can still get a little stagnant offensively. You can tell, especially without Jalen Newell, they're two real primary needs. A lot of teams have these primary needs, but they don't need to fill them with stud players. They just need competent players to this. They could really use a second ball hander with without uh, Beverly or Russell on the court. Cause even when Ant takes it sometimes can be a little dicey. I'm not sure he's a guy you want initiating your offense for long spells, extended periods of time. So that can get a little dicey um, with him and they really need a rim protector protector. I mean, it got exposed with Jonas Valanciunas a few nights ago for, for the Pelicans. It got exposed when Brandon Clark was dunking on him when, when Desmond Bain was getting all the way to the rim on some of those transition things. So those are the big concerns, but those are just concerns in terms of making them a real playoff team. In terms of where they were, this current roster can be a nine or 10 scene, be in the play-in tournament, which I would absolutely love if they could be in the play-in tournament right now. I think everyone would love that just to have a sniff of some development, a sniff of some of this playoff basketball. But those are your concerns. And the last concern is the Wolves score more points off turnovers than any other team in the league, but they also allow a ton of points off turnovers. I think in those in the six game stretch in the in that they've been four and two and it's actually really interesting because they lead the league in points off turnovers for that six game stretch and for the entire season but like i said the problem is they give up so many points in transition so many turnovers i think they're 24th or 25th in giving it up on the receiving end so to conclude here you're gonna get some exciting basketball you got one of the best young slasher dunkers in the league in anthony edwards you got one of the best shooting big men in the league in Carl Anthony Towns, you got guys who fly around in passing lanes in Vanderbilt and Beverly and Jaden McDaniels and guys like that. So you have guys like that flying around everybody, creating turnovers, getting steals, playing a fun brand of basketball. And I think at the very least, if I, you would ask me the two things for all their, for their few struggles, I was going to say for all their, because I just brought them up, for their few struggles, if you would have told me that the Wolves would be 500 playing an exciting get-out-and-go style of basketball – shooting a lot of threes, doing what you're supposed to do in the NBA, I'd be really happy. And I really do believe that they're one or two roster moves away and one or two upticks from a D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley or another offensive bench player perhaps from really competing for a playoff spot, a real top six playoff spot. And I think that's that's more than we could have dreamed for the Minnesota Timberwolves this year. So – with that, let's switch gears to a little hockey. Here's Seth DePaul from the Lockdown Wild podcast. We did 30 minutes just talking all things Minnesota Wild, and he's just as optimistic about the Wild as I am about this Wolves team. All right, Seth DePaul joins me, host of the Lockdown Wild podcast. It's been quite the season for the wild so far you look up a lot of times throughout the year they've been in first place they're not in first place now they're technically in fourth but games in hand and all that they there's a good chance in a few weeks they'll they'll be in in first place up around there they'll make the playoffs for sure i just talked to someone about that and we pretty much decided in all certainty they will 10th in goal differential ninth in expected goal differential eighth in point percentage just a really good team so far what say you about the first 33 games well, we've seen a couple of things on display for the Wild this year. And, of course, happy to be back on, uh, on with you, Brett. Uh, enjoy doing this, so uh, glad to be back. And we've seen the depth play out for this Wild team in their favor. Really, the only two things that have slowed the Wild this year are COVID-19, in which 
not really their fault. The six games that were postponed were due to the other team having COVID issues. Uh, injuries have played a huge factor as well, but that has led to the Wild being able to get good looks from guys like Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi getting his uh, first experience at the NHL level. We've seen the emergence of guys on the uh, the bottom lines, at least to start the season. Brandon Duhame playing a, a nice role early. Uh, Connor Dewar getting a chance here over the uh, the last handful of games. The Wild relied on their depth early before things started to kind of even out, and now we are seeing those top-level guys really start to lead this team more. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, before he got hurt, hurt. He'll probably play Friday, which just blows my mind. Um, those guys are now leading the charge for this team. So all in all, you look at what this wild team has done this season, try to compartmentalize it into a a nice, neat little box. And it's just been a huge team first approach that has led to a lot of guys getting a chance to do a lot of different things. But in that case, then if you lose a top level player, you have other guys that can step up and fill those spots. It's just been Dean Evison and Bill Guerin working a lot of magic here uh, so far this season. There is certainly, you're, you're right about that. There is, and you just did a good podcast about this. There has been some Dean Evison magic. He is every bit the guy you want running your, running your team, Bill Guerin running your franchise. I just looked it up for him. I forgot to, write, forgot to write the number down. I think he's 63-29-7 as the Wild head coach is the Jeez. exact record. Uh, fourth most points – or no, seventh most points in that time span. Fourth most wins. Fourth most goals. Um, so just, like I said, just terrific. He gets the extension. I just gave a bunch of reasons of why I think he's the right guy, but why do you think he's the right guy? Just give us more of that thesis you gave on that entire podcast. Well, I, I think – We've seen him just have a, a knowledge of and an understanding of this roster so much so far this year in that, you know, he at multiple points throughout the early part of the season really leaned on that fourth line when they were, uh, were scoring and were playing super well. Um, he leaned on those guys. He's leaned on the third line. He's leaned on the second line. He's leaned on the top line. He, first and, for, first and foremost... He plays everybody on the roster. If you are on the roster, you're going to play, whereas some teams might play three lines and they splash in that fourth. Everybody on this roster plays. He has total confidence in everybody to do the job. He also holds everybody on this roster to a standard that we are going to play a particular style and there was no better example of the Dean Evison experience than what happened to Kevin Fiala um, on Saturday against the Washington Capitals. Committed three penalties and three pretty bad penalties in the span of, uh, I think it was four minutes, 27 seconds. So with the Wild shorthanded, nine players down, he benches Fiala. Kevin comes to him, I think, either at the start of the third period or during the second intermission and says, hey, I know it's on me. Those are bad penalties. I'm not helping the team. If you want to, uh, to sit me down the rest of the way, I understand that. But if you're willing to give me another opportunity to kind of make up for it, I'm good to go too. Dean obviously at that point says, okay, message understood, message received. So he puts Fiala back in. 
assists on the game-tying goal in the last minute, and scores in the shootout. Dean, in that instance, knew, okay, for Kevin to get this message and for him to pick up his play, I have to, I have to sit him here. And it worked. We've seen Victor Rask get moved all over the lineup, played with Kaprizov and Zuccarello uh, at the beginning of the year, got bumped off there. Dean Evison is not afraid to call out his players because he knows he's doing so in a way that is trying to get the best out of them. And so top to bottom, he knows exactly what it's going to take to get the most out of these guys. And, you know, the other thing that I think is just so refreshing considering we got rid of a guy who by and large told it how it is in Mike Zimmer Dean does a lot of that too. And I think that's just so refreshing. You see coaches who kind of talk themselves in circles. They get asked a question. They don't answer it. I think Dean just, he will tell you what's on his mind. But I think the big thing to really pull from the Dean Evison experience is just that he knows all these players and he knows what it takes to, uh, to get the best out of them. Yeah, you just mentioned the uh, the Fiala thing. I was going to bring it up, obviously, but in that in that game, no Kaprizov, no Erickson Eck, no Brodine, no Spurgeon, no Galagoski, no Talbot. That doesn't really matter for this argument. No Greenway, no Duhame, and no Nick Bukestad. And all in that game. And he, like you said, he decided that he was going to sit down. Maybe his best scoring option in the entire on the entire roster that night. Yeah, for for taking the penalties, which you proved no one, or like you said. No one's immune to it. And also the, the Dean Evison, Kevin Fiala kind of back and forth relation. Like, I think that shows a lot from Fiala too, to go request the word and say, okay, like I've been around this guy enough. I know I can tell what he thinks of me. I know what he thinks of when I'm playing poorly. Obviously Evison said afterwards, it's no reason why he was sitting. Fiala knew why he was sitting, but I think that shows a good sense of maturity too, of like, Hey, I get it. Like I know, I understand what you did here. I understand why. I think I can go help the team win. Obviously, we don't know what he said. They didn't get into that. But there there was kind of this mutual understanding of, I know I can do this. I know I can get to you. And I know that once you come to me, if you say what I need to hear or what you need to say, then we can bury it, move on, and go win this hockey game. And I think a lot of coach or player in a number of, not just the NHL, on a number of NHL teams, on a number of pro sports teams, some no one would have given in and both of them gave in at the end and helped the team. Well, and, and to be able to talk about it after the game too, like a lot of, a lot of coaches may go the route of like, this is something that's going to stay behind closed doors. Um, you know, another example on that same level, uh, a guy who's no longer with this wild team who was widely regarded as one of the most influential voices uh, during his tenure here, Zach Parisi. And the incident that happened last year where Parisi stayed on the ice past his shift to try to help Marcus Foligno get a, uh, a hat trick. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights ended up scoring the game tying goal and winning the game in overtime. Dean said, that's not how we do it here. And, uh, and benched him for the, uh, the next game. And, you know, to be willing to do that kind of a thing, to set an example for a guy who ran the show when he was here, um, you know, that speaks volumes too, is that it, do, it doesn't matter if you're Kirill Kaprizov. It doesn't matter if you're one of the third line defensemen for this team. If you do something that does not jive with the way that the wild are doing things, Dean's going to call you on it. And rightfully so. 
I think too, uh, you just mentioned something that I wasn't even going to bring up, but I hadn't even really thought about. Well, I was thinking about it in a different way than you brought it up. It's the Parisi, Suter, they were kind of the voices in that locker room, Koivu for a really, really long time too. But the, the new voices that have kind of come out of, like Matt Zuccarello all of a sudden embodies the way Dean Evison want to play. Your guy, Marcus Foligno, is a perfect example of just a guy who is now a leader who does more and kind of is a heart and soul type guy patrick beverly on the timberwolves is a good example of a guy you wouldn't expect some of the felino is a perfect example i should say to compare to a guy like beverly who skill wise you're never going to go in and think they change your franchise but the more they speak up and the more that the team embodies who they are as hockey players as basketball players athletes that seems to make a huge difference just in the overall intensity the way they play even keeping a guy like kaprizov who has shown no real signs of, of being any sort of diva or anything, so I'm not calling him that, but a guy who you would assume would, would probably be unhappy pretty quick if things started to go wrong, and they're guys who just write him and everybody and all of these young guys. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, the mentality is infectious for this team, and it shows on the ice, too. Uh, Ten goals when they're down to, like, the final couple minutes of the game and they pull the goalie. To go with the six-on-five advantage, they lead the NHL in that category. So you get to where you're facing a two-goal deficit in the third period, and you're like, "We're not out of this by any stretch." I mean, I I can't I can't count past this year the uh, the number of times where the Wild have faced two-goal deficits in the third period and they've lost. And the Wild have multiple wins in that category this year. Like they just they have such a cohesion as a team because I think now that some of those voices are gone, it feels like everybody has equal say in the locker room and that people can speak up when they see things that they don't like that other players are doing. And that, I I don't know, I'm sure that sounds kind of cliche, but the fact that everybody just is on equal footing in this locker room I think has led to the fact that they're playing as well as they are in what was widely regarded to be kind of a step back year, gearing up for the, uh, the buyouts, trying to get everything in line for those and save salary cap wherever you can. No, this team is squarely in the Western conference playoff picture and widely expected once things get back on track with the schedule, widely expected to be in one of those top three spots, if not the top spot, uh, in the central division. So team chemistry, they have a ton of it. A lot of guys that are just willing to do whatever it takes. And, uh, it just, it just leads to a lot of wins. The older I get to the more I start to think that team chemistry and leadership and attitude and all those intangible things that you think are so dumb when you're in college or whatever, and you're 21, 22 watching sports, and you're like, no, the best guys win, the best players win. And obviously I still believe that's true that you have to have good players to win. I'm not a dummy. That's why the teams that recruit the best win the college football championship every year. Like it's no, it's no secret that good players help you. But that being said, and again, I mentioned the Timberwolves kind of that parallel when you see teams who really respect their coach, who have veteran leadership, who have veterans who embody and can be an extension of the coach on the floor, who completely understand what the coach, what the team is trying to accomplish, 
that makes a world of difference. And I've really felt that cohesion with this wild team from, like I said, from the top down, from Dean Evison on down. It just, it feels like a team who does really like each other, who likes going to the rink every day. And in hockey, maybe more so than every other sport, you never hear playoff teams in the middle of the run go, you know what? The boys hate each other. We hate coming to the rink every day. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen every team. And maybe they're just saying it, but it does feel like every team who wins the Stanley cup are some of the closest teams in the league. And then you listen to a spit and chicklets like podcast where you get all these old players talking and they all talk about it. The closer the team are, the more you want to hang out, the more group dinners you go on, the better your team plays. It's no coincidence that guys like Ryan Hartman and um, Marcus Foligno are already establishing new career highs for goals because this team doesn't rely on one player to get it done. It's not in Edmonton where you have, you know, Connor McDavid, you have Leon Dreisaitl, and it's going to be those two guys that get it done for you with the exception of maybe a player stepping up here or there. Um, this team trusts everybody in every situation. I mean, Ryan Hartman has had, I think, three game-tying goals in the last minute this year with a team that has Kirill Kaprizov, Kevin Fiala, Jewel Erickson Eck, those guys that you would have expected in previous coaching regimes would be the ones to get the puck in critical situations. They're opening up spots for, for everybody to, uh, to be able to contribute and so you don't box yourself into, well, we're going to need Kirill Kaprizov to make the play to get this out of, to get us out of this hole and get us back into this game. They have seven, eight, nine, ten guys that can do that. And so that just makes you a more dangerous team because then who do you defensively key in on late in the game? Because you got a ton of people that are capable of beating you every night. And with that, it kind of comes into what I want to talk about next. These last two games against the Capitals and the Bruins, it feels like this wild team in kind of those 50, 50 games that the wild and a lot of other Minnesota teams that it feels like they always lose. It feels like this team certainly wins all of them. They win the weird game in the shootout. When Fiala gets benched, we kind of talked about it. They win that Bruins game when they have a rookie, when Boldy scores in Boston, ends up having the game winning goal, obviously Kaprizov taken out by Frederick game on ESPN, good team in Boston, all of that stuff. But it just, it just feels like in, in those games, like you mentioned, when they're down two goals, it doesn't feel like, Oh, they're out of it. They've come back. They pulled the goalie and scored two goals in some games this year. Like it doesn't, it never feels like they're out of games. It feels like they're, they're always in control, that you always feel that there's an opportunity to come back. And again, like I said, some of these games you look at, if you lose Kaprizov in the middle of that game against Boston before when you're already on a five-game slide, past years, that's a recipe for a disaster for just about every Minnesota pro team I've, I've ever watched. And I know we've talked about it beforehand. I know you have some feelings about the hit too. Yeah, it just it strikes me as weird that – a player of Trent Frederick's stature, which I think the last time I checked, he had six goals in 82 games. So heck of a player, full, full endorsement here by, uh, by me, but it just, it struck me so weird after the play happens that, you know, I'll, I'll go back to when Kevin Fiala, it was last year at the beginning of the season, he ended up, um, he ended up boarding a Kings player from behind and immediately like as soon as the player hit the hit the boards went down to check on him and you could tell he was like I messed up here that was that was a bad play 
I guess for Trent Frederick, that meant looking around like a psycho and trying to fight the first wild player that came within arm's reach of him. What that tells me is that he knew what he was doing was going to lead to some wild players getting upset about it. And he was like, either they're going to come after me or I just start it myself. So good job. Cool. Trent Frederick. Uh, I hope you recovered from the stick tap that, uh, that Alex Ovechkin gave you. Uh, tried to start something with Ovechkin again and uh, it didn't work. Um, Ovechkin just kind of bounced off the hit. And then Frederick, like, I think tried to instigate him into a fight. It's, it's like, cool, cool. going the Tom Wilson route. Um, it didn't work. And, you know, I think the best part about it is that that was their like equalizer. Like we're going to have to get Kaprizov out of here to win this game. Wild still won. I guess, I guess that's the best way to get back at a guy like that. Um, other than Marcus Foligno going up to everybody on the Bruins bench and saying, I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll get you. Best way to get even at a team like that and a player like that is to just beat him shorthanded. And the Wild did. So uh, all in all, I can't wait to see what happens in the March 16th rematch. Maybe we get like, was it Islanders? It was Islanders and somebody. I think it was Islanders Capitals last year where they just all, all of the, everybody dropped the gloves as soon as the opening oh, face yeah. off happened. Maybe we get that in the uh, in the rematch on the 16th, but all in all, just beat them. Just beat them on the ice. Let them think it over, and uh, yeah, pound sand, Trent it was, Frederick. It was definitely one I, I told you this beforehand, but the more you watched back and then read, what, what opened my eyes to it, because live I didn't, I didn't think too much about it, and then you mentioned that the ESPN broadcast certainly didn't think any, <laughs> certainly didn't give any of it the time of day to even consider that it was a bad hit. In fact, you would have thought that he just made a clean open ice hit and said, keep it moving. Like right away, they're like, well, Trent Frederick has to finish his, well, no, he doesn't have to finish his check right there. The puck, again, the point that I was going to make that I kind of lost myself on as I tried to try not to get mad is that the puck was sitting right there. Like he was not yeah. separating anybody from the puck. Kaprizov had not possessed the puck yet. It was, I mean, Dean Evison was right. The puck was sitting right in front of him. And, like you mentioned, if he had any sort of skill as a player, could have easily just taken the puck and then moved on, you know? So that's the, that's the part that'll always, and I understand finishing hits. And I actually, like I mentioned with something else, as I get older, the more I respect that part of all sports, but especially hockey where you have to do those things sometimes. And you need the guys who provide that for you. And you need guys like Felino on your team is going to do the exact same thing to them afterwards. You go, it's coming for you, buddy. It's coming for you, buddy. It's coming for you, buddy. And that you need that anger and you need to play that game with that sort of aggressiveness. But at the same time, there's, there's a line where it's just, especially up against the boards now where it's just, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where you kind of lose me is where you, is where you know that we're not just dealing with, potential hard falls to the ice now we're dealing with shoulders and acls and ankles and all of those things is where it starts to get really really iffy for me well the nice thing is that apparently kirill kaprizov's bones are made of titanium so uh well, he's joking sounds, with everyone at the capitals game already so he seems, seems it fun. sounds it sounds like he is going to at least be super close to playing on friday which i i can't fathom I don't know if he will play, but it sounds like he's at least going to try to, you know, practice before the game. Um, the other thing too is like, yes, I know you're trying to frustrate the best player on the other team. Do it out in the middle of the ice. 
if he's got an opportunity for a puck, just go crunch him like Matt Dumba does so many times. Just right in the middle of the ice. Just if you if you want, if that's what you are intent on doing, do so somewhere other than right up along the boards. Because you know, I just oh, it's a clean play. Yeah, just miss me with that. It's not. It's a dirty play. Yeah, get that I, out of here. And and it's and it is to like I kind of alluded to the worst kind of dirt. Like if you're going to hit someone in the open ice and your hands get a little high, I mean, it's like being a safety and it's the bang, bang play. Sometimes heads are going to hit. Sometimes shoulders are going to hit heads. Sometimes hands are going to hit heads. That's the, that's the game we're playing here. We're all skating 25 miles an hour with sticks in our hand. Like we, we understand that part of it. It's just, it's the extraneous part of, of knowing exactly where the boards are, knowing that he's already kind of going down or on his way down. Cause that's the thing too. Like you mentioned is, he kind of hits them and then they get up and they kind of like roll over on like they're getting out from a tackle in football. Like he kind of rolls onto them. And there's that picture that was, I think it was in, I think it was a Getty image that I saw in the athletic where like, he's literally on top of them for, for like finishing his check. He's, he finishes it so much. He's on top of them. And again, someone else has the puck that was sitting right there the whole time. We don't need to go on about it, but you know, I feel <laughs> it's for the video element right there. Yeah, I um, I basically told uh, Frederick where he can stuff it. So, last thing on this is we look to I guess the second half, second, third, whatever we want to do for the season. What uh, what surprises you the most about the first thirty forty games, and then what what are you looking for most in in the last latter half of the year? I think the thing that surprised me is what we we talked about already in just the number of times that this wild team has been able to come back from deficits. And you look at that element of the game and you feel like, okay, not something maybe that's super sustainable. Like at some point, they're going to have two or three of those in a row that they lose. And I'm, I'm, they've had a few. I mean, the, the Dallas game where I think they were down seven to two at one point, they scored a couple to get it to seven to four. The Winter Classic, they uh, they did the same thing. So obviously that's a bigger deficit than two goals, but um, just truly the fact that this team is really never out of it. And I had hoped that we would see that kind of a fight after last year, and it has amplified this year. Uh, a few things that I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the way, because I truly believe that he is here for the long haul, is how Matt Boldy does the rest of the way. Because I think with Rem Pitlick being put on waivers to allow for him to be put down to Iowa or on the taxi squad, I think it's pretty clear that he was simply injury insurance for uh, for Matt Boldy until he was ready to come back. Um, I'd like to see the goaltending continue to uh, to improve on the strides that they've made. Capo Kacknen has been great the last two games. Cam Talbot will come back at some point. I'd like to see those guys build off of that down the stretch. And uh, the main thing that I really would like to see the month of March, the wild play nine consecutive home games. I would like to see them use that opportunity to improve upon their positioning, whether it be getting from third place in the, uh, in the central getting from third to first or getting from second in the conference to first Use that as a perfectly placed opportunity to go on a, an 8-1 and one run or a 9-0 run and show the league what they were able to do earlier in the season and just flex, just flex a ton on the rest of the teams in this league. Give us something to be excited about because 
Major League Baseball is dead. The lockout is just never going to end, I don't think. Um, the Vikings are in the midst of trying to find a new head coach. The Timberwolves are a 500 team for, it seems like, forever. So we need something. We need something to continue to give Minnesota sports fans hope. And I'm hoping that it is uh, these guys right here. So flex in March, win playoff games after that. I think you're, uh, I think you're on to something. I don't want to say I was just talking to someone. I didn't want to say cup contender because that feels too aggressive. That makes it sound like real upper, upper echelon. But the way I put it is in the past, the Wild make the playoffs. And you kind of knew a first round, second round exit was coming just based off the roster limitations, who they were playing. You just, you knew eventually someone was going to be better and that someone was probably going to be better before the conference final, unless you got really, really hot all of a sudden. But this year I'm saying, if you list out six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 teams who can win the cup entering the playoffs this year, I think you'd be hard pressed to not have a barring anything crazy, be hard pressed to not include the wild on your list of, okay, there's eight teams in the realm of possibility who can win the cup this year. There's certainly one of them. And that's kind of where I put my assessment right now. Yeah, I would agree. The wild were the first team in the NHL to hundred goals. They were first in the Western conference until the schedule started to get crazy and they had like six postponements. So it's, it's legit. Like, this year's legit. It's just they got to get back to a normal rhythm of games, get everybody back healthy, and then just just like Kodak Black in the, uh, in the Panthers game tonight, just, just pedal to the metal, just <laughs> aggressively blast at home and, uh, and get us that Stanley Cup. <laughs> for, for those who have not seen, this is, this is a – Great tie-in. This is, I mean, talk about breaking news and, and putting it in there being topical. <laughs> this Kodak Black from this evening in the suite at the Panthers game. He's having a, having a good time with a nice young woman, if you haven't seen the video. Uh, it, says, uh, it says they won 5-2. to two. You cannot convince me that, they, uh, that there weren't six goals scored in that Florida stadium tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, last thing, I almost, I almost forgot. I'll give you – give me one minute on where the Vikings go from here. Who do you want? What do you – what do you do? The fastest version. We've already gone like 30 minutes, so fastest version possible. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I'm starting to settle in on Kellen Moore because I think the, uh, the Vikings have a lot of good things offensively at their disposal. Uh, I think the defense just needs a little bit of retooling, maybe shed some, uh, some bad contracts, try to get some money put into the offensive line. As far as uh, GM, I, I have, I don't know, get a good one. And, um, and just go from there. But I'm, I'm leaning towards Kellen Moore after my, uh, my faux list uh, included the likes of Jim Tom Sula, Jason Garrett, and um, Bob Wiley, the, uh, the old Cleveland Browns offensive line coach. But uh, let's get Kellen Moore. More good to come for the Vikings in 2022. Uh, you know, I think uh... – I like whenever you can bring in a new coach and it's not a full rebuild. That's always, especially in the NFL where it feels like things can get so dark so fast. If you get wrong quarterback, wrong coach, you end up like the giants. And all of a sudden you go from winning super bowls to winning 19 games in four years, Um, which that blew my mind. I just saw it on on the TV here, which is why I thought of it. But as, as long as you're not doing something like that. And there's, it feels like this cycle too. There's so many good coaches available. Like, there's like five guys, whether it's Leftwich or Bienemy or Moore or Brian Flores, by the grace of God, that'd be awesome. But there, there's a bunch of guys this year where there's like six, seven guys that I'd be like, I would love for them to coach my team. Whereas usually it's like, oh shit, who's, 
there's two or three yeah. names available. There's one hot name in the cycle. And then all of a sudden you see that you're interviewing the bills receivers coach and you're like, maybe he could be good. <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't know anything about him. I, I just, I like that, you know, you go polar opposites. So we had a, uh, a, we had a pretty uh, nose to the grindstone defensive coach in Mike Zimmer and you know, that's off to Zim. Um, shame we didn't get him a Super Bowl, but you know, it is what it is. But you're going to go from that to uh, an offense-oriented guy in Kellen Moore, and I think he's going to really be able to bring a staff together to figure out this uh, this offense, get some better old linemen in here, and uh, maybe we'll be able to do a little bit better than the uh, the uh, Minneapolis Miracle this time. Yeah, Zimmer. Uh, you know, he did he did what you can ask for any team, any coach, coach your team for almost a decade. He took the baton and ran much, much further than. They were at the starting point, and for I mean, I'll always like and respect Mike Zimmer. He was coach for a long time. He's a pretty damn good coach for a, a vast majority of that time. Uh, before we go, where can the people find you? Locked on Wild every day. Give us a quick plug. Locked on Wild, available wherever you listen to podcasts and available anytime you want to listen. Best way to get everything is to just search Locked on Wild. I lucked out every social media platform. Everything was able to get Locked on Wild, no bells and whistles. So just search Locked on Wilds, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. The list goes on. We've got new podcasts coming out every day. We keep you up to date on all things Minnesota Wilds. You, there's not a puck that can drop in the state of Minnesota that I'm not aware of. So uh, just keeping it real and uh, just navigating through what has become a very, very exciting Minnesota Wild season. Let's get it back on track. Stanley Cup coming our way, baby. Here we go. Thank you, as always. Of course, my friend. Beautiful. Kevin, I guess I have to ask you how you're doing, because that's the, the common courtesy. I was about to just rip right through you and open, but how you doing? I'll give you the common courtesy of just saying I'm good. Okay. I think we did that exact same thing last time, but again, <laughs> like subscribe, great exports on Twitter, great dot sports on Instagram, great exports on TikTok, great exports, wherever your podcasts are sold. Um, yeah. Do all that rate review, all that good stuff. Obviously plenty of going on, plenty going on. Just watch the wolves. Wolves won four in a row until today. I lost in a buzzer beater. Tough scene, tough scene, but Playing really well. We won't talk about that much because Kevin doesn't really watch basketball. We're here. We're here to talk about Mike Zimmer. Doesn't have a job anymore. You mentioned a good. You brought up a good point, Kev, about the entire coaching search thing. Of we really we haven't had to do this for like a decade, and even the last time we did it, they handed it off to Leslie Frazier before there was even a real search. So it's been it's yeah. been a long time since there's been uncertainty of who's going to coach the Vikings. It is, and it's weird. I mean, I I've never really had to pay attention to who's even available. Like you'll hear about coach signings and you're like, Oh wow. I didn't realize he's going there this year, but now it's just like, you actually have to be paying attention. And I've tried to a little bit, but it's a weird feeling. Yeah. So before we kind of go into all of our thoughts on that, I was reading something today. Do you think just in terms of general philosophy, like what do you think they do? Do you think they do the, the classic NFL thing, sports in general, where it's, you just get the opposite of the previous guy, especially because so many of those guys are like, seem to be more in stock, like player friendly, young innovators, or do you want a guy who's retread head coach type thing? Where do you want them to go first and foremost? I, it, it, similar to what I'm hearing a lot of the 
you know, top candidates are. I want them to go offensive coordinator. So I don't necessarily need, I've heard rumors about going after Doug Peterson. I personally would rather go after somebody like Mike Bienemy, which is not like a super hot take by any means, but I want somebody that is more offensive minded. I think, you know, Zimmer, it was frustrating at the end having somebody who's supposed to be a defensive minded coach and watching how bad the defense has been the past two years mm-hmm. might even be longer. I don't know, but it's just, it's felt like a long time. And so I'd rather have somebody who's more offensive minded. I curious from, from your point of view, when you say somebody who's opposite, are you leaning like Kellen Moore where you're talking about he's young, he's offensive minded. Uh, Kellen Moore is actually a good, I, I don't know where I think when I say opposite offensive minded, yes, because one thing before I want to backtrack here. So there's whatever it was, 17, 18, a couple of years ago when everyone made fun of like all the Sean McVay type guys for getting the jobs when that all happened. Well, those jobs now went to Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan. So like, it, it seems to be, it's not a clear, clear formula, but like Kellen Moore, even though it's not the McVay coaching tree, so I know it's obviously different in different systems, stuff like that, seems very cut from that same cloth offensively. But what I was thinking more of is, and you mentioned this too, Zimmer kind of just wore out his welcome at the end. I think everyone, like he was, he was never going to be your best friend. He was always going to be hard-nosed. He was always going to be a little stubborn. But at the end, he just kind of seemed like a prick to the media, to the players. Even Eric Kendricks kind of alluded to it, that like a lot of guys didn't really like the way he went out. So I think they, they're going to look for a guy who first and foremost is just a guy that players love playing for. Cause you see like in a Dan Campbell, who's not any sort of offensive genius, but he's a guy people just play really hard for. I think LaFleur kind of has a little bit of that too. I think everyone just respects him. And then you look at someone like Matt Nagy who has the exact opposite. It's becoming to me a little more obvious when you look at an NFL team, what do they think of their coach? What do they think of their quarterback? And by the end, the Vikings just got fucking sick of them both. Yeah. I mean, I, I brought this up yesterday too in the, in the group, but I reading Zimmer's like statement about being fired, it just seemed very like, it seemed like a canned response. Mm-hmm. And it like, especially when you compare it to like Spielman's is a lot more like heartfelt about the community and Zimmer. I don't know. There's just a couple things in there that really stood out. He was just like Minnesotan people have grown on me. Like that just kind of seems like he didn't seem super thrilled about where he was at. And I feel like, you know, the pressure, my, my take on everything is that it seemed towards the end, he was kind of lashing out because I feel like he puts a lot of the blame on Spielman, Mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting, he never really wanted Kirk. Um, He didn't want to draft Kellen Mond. And it just seemed like he kind of was, he was done with it at the end and he didn't really care about it. So I'm not, I didn't know that the players had even commented on it and Kendrick's alluding to it. I didn't hear about that, but I can't say it surprised me because like it was a huge demeanor shift just over the past like year, two years. Yeah. Just compared to what we knew him as. You brought up a good point with him not wanting Kirk. Well, you actually brought up two good points about the defense failing and him not wanting Kirk because it's ultimately, if you trace it back to post playoff loss to the Eagles in the conference championship game, like that's what it all comes back to. February of 2018, because Zimmer, they had the most dominant defense in the NFL. They obviously won 13 games, Case Keenum, a backup quarterback. And the decision at that time, it was Bridgewater, Bradford, draft a quarterback, Keenum, Cousins. Zimmer didn't want to draft a quarterback. They found out Bridgewater's medical. They weren't going to touch him after that. 
Bradford, kind of the same thing, less of a medical problem, but a medical mix with just not as good. Then it became Keenum versus Cousins. And Zimmer, I don't know if he said it at the time, but he was, it became pretty clear in quotes afterward in the story in The Athletic um, a couple days ago that Zimmer didn't want Kirk. He wanted to spend the money elsewhere. He wanted to fix his defense. So he already didn't want Kirk. He didn't really talk to Kirk a ton. He didn't really talk to the offense a ton at all. And so when you have that, and when you have Kirk playing average, just kind of like we expected, some would say slightly above average. I'm not going to get into the whole Kirk Cousins rabbit hole here because that's really not what we're talking about. And then you have that, but then your defense just completely fails on you. Well, then it's over. You have no relationship with the quarterback. You don't have great relations with the offense coordinator because, quite frankly, every offensive coordinator you've had stunk. You had North Turner, who old North Turner, who stunk, retired middle of the year out of nowhere. John DiFilippo fired in midseason. Clint Kubiak now, and then Stefanski in between Kubiak and DiFilippo, who they didn't even initially promote Stefanski when they had the opportunity to. Then they wouldn't let him go be Pat Shermer's offensive coordinator on top of all that. So your offense offense was just doomed from the jump. And I'm going to say, I, I want, I really want to touch on that first. I, cause I brought this up a few weeks ago too, but Stefanski, I think most Vikings fans can agree is the one that got away. Like mm-hmm. we granted Zimmer really hadn't had his decline at that point yet. So it was not as easy to kind of see writing on the wall and be like, all right, let's, you know, let's put Stefanski into the role, but the ideal world, I would have loved to have Stefanski head coach, yeah, but yeah. obviously like we're, we're well beyond that. Um, but it's just, I, I, to me, I, I always did like Zimmer. Like, I don't know. I, I liked him as a coach. Obviously when our defense was strong, it was really easy to root for him. I certainly did think it was time for him to go. I mean, you said it earlier, he overstayed his welcome. He just, it wasn't working for him, especially this year. I mean, what was it? 13 games decided by one possession where, his old defense, we probably would have come out on top in a large majority of those games we lost by a few points or a possession. But it's that's that's why I going back to what even brought all this up is I want somebody that's more offensive minded. Because I mean, we won't go into it. Kirk, he's not great, but he's okay. You know, we can find a way to make it work with him. We have Justin Jefferson, we have Thielen, KJ Osborne's even a really good third receiver, and we've got cook like we have offensive weapons and I think an offensive minded coach somebody like a enemy could flourish I mean obviously we don't have a Mahomes but we do have other offensive weapons that I think if we focus a little bit more there I think it could be really beneficial obviously still a lot to address on the defense but I don't think I'm really keen on going after a DC for well, where we're at and also, I want to I want to clean this up too because obviously, when someone gets fired, you kind of go through what went wrong here. But you mentioned it too. I liked Mike Zimmer for most of his time. I, did. I, yeah. I really enjoyed him as the head coach. I liked him as the old school kind of kind of football guy. And here's something that surprised me. I put this in the group the other day, um, and it was for a different it was for a different like time period. But since Zimmer became the coach, Vikings are seventy two fifty six and one. That is the ninth best record in the NFL in that time frame. Made the playoffs only three times in those eight wow. years. So obviously that'll do you in. But that's shocking. I mean, that's not like they were never all that bad. Like they were always good, always in contention, always had an opportunity to get in the playoffs. Um, and then the other thing I want to touch on too with the Stefanski thing that you brought up is that's such a hard decision and such a ballsy decision to make in the NFL or anything in pro sports and you rarely see it, but there was a time where they were kind of at a crossroads where you knew Stefanski in that cycle. He was one of the hot 
coordinators who's going to get hired and right. NFL teams rarely do this, but that was a perfect opportunity for Spielman to say, we got the best guy right here. So if we fire Zimmer, we have a ready-made replacement, but it is still at that point, he even, he even had a better record. He's probably 20 games over 500. Right. So it's almost impossible to fire him, but that's what it takes to win Super Bowls and get to the le- next level. And the Vikings maybe don't necessarily have a Super Bowl roster, but going into this year, we certainly thought they had a playoff roster. And if you're in the playoffs, we've seen some of these teams this year who are now in the playoffs who are really hot. If you have a play, if you're in the playoffs, you have a chance to go win the Super Bowl. And so it's a, it's a hard decision to make. And I'm not saying I would have done it at the time, but they really did have an opportunity where they could have had a better coach who was already on the staff if they wanted to trade him out for Zimmer, which again, they were never going to do, but it's just an interesting, like you said, to go back and, and just look at that and then look at Stefanski with the Browns, not this year, but the year before. And I don't think anyone would reject the thesis that he'd be a much better offensive coordinator or much better offensive coach, much better suited to lead Kirk cousins into his future. Right. I mean, I'll say it. Unlike our buddy, Tom hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And you could have just, the, the, the big, the big hindsight on that though, the one thing that they could have done is Stavansky should have been the offensive coordinator way sooner. That's one thing. And maybe you look at that, maybe that helps, Kirk's development, any continuity might be better because Kirk's now had, after Kubiak's gone, he'll have four offensive coordinators in four years with the Vikings. So that's not going to make things easy on you anyway. And again, we've, we don't need to go over the Kirk Cousins thing, but that's not easy on anybody. That's not going to help anyone be your X factor to win football games. And that's from him all the way on down, obviously. Yeah. I mean, hopefully new offensive coordinator does a little bit better decisions, a little better play calling than, third and 20 screen passes. So maybe, maybe it won't be so bad to start over this time, but I get your point. There's a, there's, there's still some meat on the bone. Anything else you want to address about Mike Zimmer in general, things, things that you want to talk about, things, things stirring around in your mind. I don't think so. I got the main thing off my chest of the fact that I really did like Zimmer. I did think it was time for him to go, but I don't think he was that bad. I don't think he was our main problem. I think I think getting rid of Spielman's smart. I mean, it's just, we've, we've seen, he's made some smart moves. Getting Justin Jefferson's great. I believe he also brought, he drafted Adrian Peterson, did he not? Yeah, he probably did. 2000, he's been there 16 years. So yeah, 06, that would have been his first or second year. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously he's made some smart decisions, but I just feel like to your point, we need somebody that's going to be making better calls, being able to see the future a little bit better. Maybe then we would have had Stefanski as our head coach, who knows? I mean, you last 16 years in the NFL GM, you get the same thing as Zimmer. You last eight years as a coach somewhere. You are doing something right ultimately. So yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's near, it's nearly impossible. And I do like same time coach GM re not rebuild, but kind of get the continuity, get the new GM who then hires the new coach. I, I don't really know what you do about Kirk. Do you roll the dice one more year and just say, Hey, new coach, new offensive coordinator, new staff. Let's see if we can get more out of them. That's their first kind of tricky situation. They might have to do some stuff with Hunter and Thielen and Smith, maybe not this summer, but the next summer. So whoever does have it, they're going to have an opportunity to reshape this roster pretty quickly without necessarily going full rebuild, more just like a slight reassess, which is a good position to be in when you fire your coach and GM too. Well, and I'm, I'm going to ask a question here because I'm going to be honest. I have no idea how this works. How, what do you even do to hire a new GM? I get coaches. We know you're like, you're scouting people from offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator positions, other head coaches, you know, whatnot, but I don't like, what do you, how do you even find a new GM? 
it's the same thing as like, I mean, there's player personnel, you know, they've got the assistant GMs places. You've got a lot of G, I mean, some GMs even like you are the general man. So a lot of them, it's like you're the GM, but they'll have like a just a head of scouting or something or a head of football right. operations or something like that. So it's a, uh, it, it's kind of, it is kind of a lot like coaches where there's just people coming through the ranks that, you know, like the Timberwolves, for example, they got, Gerson Rosas, their GM before he got fired for sexual misconduct, not sexual misconduct, an affair with an assistant. Um, but before he got fired, he was the Rockets GM's like right-hand man for like 10 years and everyone knew that. And then the third in line at the Rockets became his new right-hand man who is now the Wolves GM after he was removed as GM. So that's what happens a lot is like, it's kind of in those circles, they know who the guy's number two is, number three is in san francisco or for the rams or the packers or whomever it's no, it's no secret who is helping these gms build these rosters right but i mean like do we do we even have a front runner like we obviously I don't know, know I don't some know. of the top candidates are for coach but i was yeah i was gonna say i wish that's something i can't even pontificate on of who Good would work. be a perfect gm replacement because I, I can't even pretend to i don't i don't think anyone i think anyone who pretends to know like who would be a great new gm is probably lying or either really well connected so fair enough that'd be that'd be how i'd assess it like because you know what i mean like do you think any like even any like radio guy do you think they actually know like what's going on in those like you'd have to be like a reporter who's really really into it or someone who's on a staff somewhere or something because again that's just something that i mean coaches we don't know a ton about and coaches are hard for us to evaluate but we do it anyway but gms we can't even can't even begin to by my estimation on that fair enough uh, you want to talk, you said you, you said you don't have a ton. You want to talk wild though, before we get you out of here. Sure. Why not? Just overarching. What do you, they were not first place, but 41 points with three games behind blues and avalanche. So it could be in first place very soon here. We'll definitely make the playoffs. Like, what do you, what do you think? Not, I don't want to say cup contender right out of the gate, but best team and most exciting team they've had in a decade at least. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov is just such an exciting player. Like I, I think we've talked about this before, but honestly, like Kirill is the first, what I would describe as an electric player for the wild since like Marion Gabrick. Yeah. Probably like, like one just, of two in history, honestly. Yeah, seriously. And so it's, it's super refreshing to just see like that caliber of a player on the wild, somebody who's actually a goal scorer. Whereas like we, the wild have always had depth. So we've had pretty like even across the board, like decent scorers, but never really just like a go-to guy. So that's been mm -hmm. fun to see. I will say like, I, I, I try never to get too optimistic with the wild. I like through and through always like support them, but you know, over the past month or so, they had been doing exactly what I would expect the wild to do when they hit this point of the season and just start losing games. Cause mm -hmm. I think it was what, like a five game skid Yeah. when they looked super strong, all of a sudden they just dropped. And so it's like, you never really know what to expect out of them, but I mean, it is a really solid team. And like you said, even though we're technically in a wild card spot right now, it's super close race in the central. So, I mean, I think it's, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you said it already. So I'll jump on it, but I, I feel like they're going to make the playoffs. It's, Oh yeah. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. Them. It's just where are they going to land? What seat are they going to get? But. And that seating is going to be real important in the, in the central where it's so tight. And you probably like, I would probably say, that that division might have the three best teams in the entire Western conference. And it's not the team in first, it's not the predators. So it's not even the team in first. Yeah. 
So there's going to be a lot of a, a lot to be made there that if you can, let's say the Predators do finish, well, I guess it'd be wild card based, but let's say the Predators do finish fourth and then would be a wild card to get to win the division and get them in the first round as opposed to the Avalanche or Blues would be, especially for a team like the Wild, would be huge because obviously when we've seen in the past when the Wild play teams that are by all accounts just better, for lack of a better word, in playoff series, they certainly do not play up to their opponent. No, I, that's very fair. It's a classic first-round exit team. But, I mean, again, it's, it's a different team this year, hopefully with at least a little bit more certainty than last year. Obviously, there have been some postponements and weird schedule changes with COVID and whatnot, but it's a little bit more certainty around the team, so it's kind of – it leaves me a little bit more hopeful. Um, I, I feel like – I'm not going to say cup contender right away, but obviously I'd expect them to go a little bit further this year. Than, yeah. I don't, I, I say, best. yeah, I say cup contender in the sense of like, if you're making a list, usually if you were making a list, let's say going into the NHL playoffs, if you were to list the eight teams who could win the Stanley cup, most years, I think pretty much every wild fan would acknowledge they're in the playoffs, but they're not one of those eight teams who can actually do that. Whereas this year, I think if you made a list right now, and I think most people would probably agree that if you made a list of eight, 10 teams, it'd be pretty hard to not put them on there as a team who could win the Stanley Cup. It would definitely would not be out of the realm of possibilities. I don't want to say no one would be surprised, but it wouldn't be like, a, oh, that team, really? That group of guys? Like it, it feels like even nationally, even around the NHL, there's a lot more of like, hey, the Wild are really good this year. They're really fun to watch. They're really exciting, just like they were a year ago. But even, right. again, just building on that. Yeah, I mean, I said I said at the very beginning of this segment that I wasn't going to get too optimistic, but I, the more I'm thinking about it, I'm going to make a claim here. I think the Wild are going to make the conference finals. There I'm we not, go. That's what we like to hear. That's, I'm not going to say they're going to win the cup this year, but I'm going to say I think they're going to make the conference finals. I like that. We can, you know what? Well, you're not a very positive guy. No offense. So we'll we'll I'm end picking. it right there with you. That's <laughs> Kevin King. Follow him on Twitter at the Pretty Bridge. Kevin, you got anything you want to plug as long as you're here? anything to plug not really no i would say i think so i just felt like i'd ask yeah i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna throw something completely random out here but all right i'm gatorade zero is the only zero beverage that's better than the original i think i would agree with that gatorade zero is delicious and i just drank a regular gatorade so i would know I've, i've got great comparison regular gatorade is just a little too syrupy for me but if we're talking like coke zero versus coke not even a question coke zero is not good oh i won't say that it's not terrible but if you're drinking them side by side like if you have the same in a day like if i go to my parents house sometimes they'll have the mini cans of each so i'll try it out just to see like am i am i just on a high horse and i am saying that regular coke's better but i i really don't think that it doesn't hold a candle it's not terrible i'll drink them fair but Gatorade Zero, it's the only one I'm actually going to prefer the zero, zero form over the original. Yeah, I agree with that. That's Kevin King, everybody. Kevin, thank you. We'll have you back at some point because you're just, uh, you're just great to have on. You're a great, great crutch for me. You always say nice things about me on here. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's because I don't do it privately, so I figured just publicly. <laughs> if you're going to do me a favor and take time out of your day, I should at least be kind about it. I, I would argue that you doing it publicly is better than in private, so thank you. Perfect. I'll keep it up. Thanks again, Vinny. Appreciate having me on. Thank you.